Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Good day, everybody. Today we have an extra special guest, Brandon Lotch. We went out into our hall. We walked down that hall. We went next door to his studio, which is right next to ours. And we said, hey, Brandon. Come on over here. We want to talk to you a little bit about VR. We want to talk about gaming. We want to talk about your time on YouTube and your transition off of the Freddy W channel. Let's also talk about digital humans and a lot of other cool futuristic concepts and much, much more. Get ready for an awesome, interesting, engaging conversation with one of our longtime hometown friends, Brandon Lodge. Here we go. Thanks for bring, bringing Bandit onto the Brandon, show, Brandon Jr. We're, we're gonna we're gonna interview Bandit and talk about dogs, uh, dog life, uh, pet grooming, biscuits. She lives a really good one, that's for sure. She's like only child status for longer than she should be. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, we've been uh, we're 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 we're, in, we're ugh, I can't even talk right now. Here, all right. Now the podcast starts. Three, two, one, action. All right. There we go. That's the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> I pulled you guys in here at nine thirty, so yeah, it's a little early for us. I've never was, had you want to do something this early before. I know. I, I had a double take when Jake was like nine thirty. I'm like nine. Yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna be here. He's alive at nine thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been trying to just keep like focused on the on, on work as much as I can. So I try to keep everything out of that block of time now. So yeah, how long good. has that been going on? You've been cranking over there for a long time now. Uh, I've been. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've been working on this current project for probably two years now, I guess. Uh, some of it was simultaneous with duck season, and then it's been uh, it's been going on beyond that. Uh, so now the entire team's all hands on deck on the same project, and then we've been uh, crunching for the last couple months, probably, and I don't know, like twelve hours a day or so. It's called Boneworks. Called Boneworks, yeah. and it's and it's not technically a game, or is it a game? Oh, it's a game. It's a narrative. It's a narrative game. Okay. Wait, is it going to be called Boneworks? It's going to be called Boneworks. Really? Yep. Because I thought that was the name of like the engine or like the system or something for some reason. If but. I went into the full pitch, it would uh, it would make it would make sense. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is both the engine, the system, uh, a fictional engine and system, as well as the okay. title of the first game, which is a narrative. That's super uh, cool VR thing. Are you going really meta with this? Like, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all like layered, and they all play off of each other and. There's always, I mean, you figure like you look at how like like uh, the Zelda series goes, and you have the entire like messy timeline, which is basically just a playground where we can always insert another title here or there. And so we figure like all of our games, we have to at least have some like connective tissue at some level, but it's vague enough that anything goes right. And so you have like some way that you can always tie things together so that people can eventually 
make the big charts of like connecting these timelines together and where the universe divided and merged and you know because people get into that stuff so you went from a, a top 10 youtube channel to virtual reality video game development is that not the usual path yeah <laughs> i thought you had to become a video game tester first get into video games yeah, yeah qa <laughs> skip the qa process well i mean we had notes so we qa'd a lot of titles oh yeah <laughs> we yeah, put a lot of true. early access and it's like man maybe we can do better <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i was talking to uh anthony uh from smosh mm-hmm. um at uh vidcon and i was i was talking about games and it kind of dawned on me that it that it wasn't that common of a path because it's like he's like well what are you up to and i'm like i'm doing this stuff you know and talking about all the different games and and titles and like things we want to do with vr and and looking at as a medium that's similar to youtube was when we found it in 2010 it's like a nascent medium that we can kind of formulate and try to push in whatever direction we want it to go um and he kind of had this like blank look he's like dang i'm making i'm making some videos that i'm excited about but it's like <laughs> but it's like normally people kind of do more like they stay in their field and uh, I guess to me, it never really felt like that much of a different field because coming from the visual effects side of things, it's just more, it's just another gray, dark gray program and uh, the same yeah. sort of, you know, it's polygons and vertices and moving around. And then beyond that, you're trying to create an entertaining piece of content. You're trying to make something for people to play and enjoy. And, or, you know, it's, there's no difference between playing and watching the other day. It's just a different way of experiencing something. So both storytelling wise, as well as creatively, it seems like it's not... In my mind, at least, it doesn't feel like that big of a journey. Yeah. Well, it's it also kind of, kind of, I guess, shows that you know, I hate to use the word creator, but you know, one of the you're one of those creators who is you know, is you know, more on the I guess back end, you know, able to actually construct the piece from both a conceptual and a technical standpoint. Whereas you know, you see a lot of people who are more you know personality focused, where it's like their their personality is what they bring to the table rather than the actual like infrastructure of creating the content as well. And so, you know, I, for me, I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense because of how technically minded, you know, um, I guess you guys were with the Freddie W channel makes total sense. I mean, it's, it is, it really is. It is the same stuff, except there's just a little more code now. (laughs) You do a lot of coding. Do a lot of coding now, yeah. So I, I originally I started coding for my uh, TI-83 back <laughs> yeah. in the junior yeah. high, like everybody did. It was like, you, you get the, the drug wars uh, basic yeah. game, right? And you start changing, first you change the police officer's name and you find some strings and you edit them. And then you're like, well, I wonder <laughs> if I can, you know, make this random event and you start dabbling. And and uh, so I, I coded in junior high for a few years and then uh, stepped away from it for, for a couple decades. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, came around to it again about, about two years ago. Hmm. Uh, started doing it in the background uh, while people were, you know, we had people working on duck season and I was, I was contributing a little bit on the code side of that, but not tremendously. I was made more like working on sort of like passion projects and uh, like experimentation stuff. And lo and behold, that all turned into the, the core of the Boneworks engine. Now that was the sort of like early stuff from that. And now we're all hands on deck developing that and getting it to market. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, so why virtual reality? Why not like go traditional 2d? That's interesting. So there's there's a bit of a chip on my shoulder for, from that, and that this is a bit of a tangent from that. But uh, essentially, there's I never realized that there's this community of like futurists, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, kind of jump from one thing to the next. And when we came into YouTube in 2010, that was in that sort of like futurist mindset where people, you know, some cr- creators are looking at it as like, oh, this is the next big thing. I want to do this. And then a lot of those people jump ship to the next platform, the next thing. Uh, you know, just because it's the next latest, greatest thing. Mm-hmm. And we skipped some in there and then we picked up virtual reality and it was the same thing at the time. It was, you know, this like 
futurist thing. And now you have like ARs coming along and everyone's like, oh, are, are you going to switch over to AR? It's like, no, we, we, we pick and choose the mediums because we want to create something in that. And it turns out that I thought there was a large like-minded community, but it turns out there's like, there's a, there's a handful that are really passionate about it. But then there's a lot of people that are actually, they're more passionate about what's the next thing than they are about actually developing something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we chose VR because it had the same spark. It had the same feel as YouTube did to me mm-hmm. in, uh, that, in, the, in that YouTube was uh, an opportunity to revolutionize the way that we got content to the viewer and that you could bypass the studio system. You could <laughs> bypass all the gatekeepers and suddenly you just make things. And on, on the merit of your own creation, uh, obviously within the constraints of that medium, uh, you'd be sort of judged by your by your peers uh, with and rewarded with views and, and people coming back and tuning into what you're doing. Uh, and VR, uh, differently but 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 similarly, has this aspect of it with gaming, where there's only been, in my mind, one other time where gaming's got had an opportunity to be completely revolutionized, and that was when going from 2D to 3D. Uh, so so you had this time around like the late late 90s, where there's like you know you know John Carmack was in there, and you had a handful of people in there that were on the engineering side, and then also on the creative side, trying to turn over the entire thing. And then for 20 years, the it largely sat dormant in just sort of those same mechanics. You look at like Half-Life 2 pretty much established uh, the the formula for the first-person game as we know it, first-person shooter at least, right, where you have some physics objects in there and you have some guns, you have some enemies, and you go through some levels and it tells you a story. And we've largely just taken that and made it more open world since then. But it's pretty much the same mechanics yeah. uh, that were established then. And in a way, I mean, Half-Life 2 at the time seemed very open world. Right? I mean, even I'd though, even argue the first Half-Life because – like that, that really, I feel like still had that same, same, same feeling. You could probably yeah turn the clock back even more. But yeah. yeah, and I don't have any like ideas for two D or three D gaming on a two D monitor. That suddenly, I think the name of that game is now trying to combine what you've seen and tell a new story and make something new in that. But it's it's uh, evolving, you know, slowly evolving what's there. Whereas whereas VR is this opportunity to kind of completely turn over the mechanics and come up with new core systems. And yeah, that's. Yeah. I think I, I think I thrive in that environment much better than than uh, trying to you know trying to trying to pick you know just a few mechanics in there to, to tighten up or try to do it in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. I think it rewards small teams that can move fast and and make something new. Yeah, well, especially because you know the hardware is coming out so so frequently, and I feel like there's like yearly updates or like <clears throat> at least you know and um, yeah, if, if you're anything <clears throat> more than like a small team, you can't move that fast. So if you consider like VR next gen. It doesn't seem like it's very really taking off very fast right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how many headsets would be out there, and I mean, I'm a huge VR fan. Um, pretty much all my gaming takes place either in VR, on the Switch, which is also a bit of a departure from the traditional platform to a little bit of an extent. And I pretty much only play Escape from Tarkov on the PC. Yeah. <laughs> so what is uh, what is holding VR back from taking off quickly right now? Why is it being adopted so slowly? I think so. I think a lot of people would tell you that the the hardware's not there yet, and I completely disagree with that. I think the hardware is is good enough, and the the next generation of hardware is coming. We're we're pretty much on like a yearly. You know, there'll be a new bump up in the resolution of headsets. Mm-hmm. You know, every two years, one year or so, um, and we're we're due for that next generational bump uh, uh, next year, and it'll it'll keep you know getting better with slightly higher fidelity. Uh, but the systems, the headsets that are currently out right now, the Oculus and the Vive, uh, primarily are going to be the cheap, you know, the, the affordable option that people are able to get. And by affordable, I mean around, you know, $300, by hopefully by next year, $250, $200. So essentially that is 
what the bulk of our users going forward, you know, a year from now are still going to be using. So mm -hmm. the, the hardware has to be good enough already. And I think it is. I think the issue is more the software is not good enough yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think the content's good enough. And that's the problem that we're trying to fix. And I hope that we've, uh, I think we've cracked it right now. I think we, uh, we've been quiet for a very long time on what we're working on. And we've kind of taken a step back and rebuilt everything that we were doing and tried to kind of go back to what the community was saying. Because we, we heard from the mainstream a lot that the, essentially that games, they're happy with the way games are. And they like the idea of VR and they warmed up to it. They got away from the whole like, oh, this is just the next connect or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they started to get into the mode of like, we like VR, but we're willing to wait until you make games that are the type of games we want to play. And by that, they mean they don't want to lose any of the feature set that they're used to in a, in a traditional game. Because when they think of VR, they think of, oh, I'm going to be, you know, take Red Dead Redemption 2 or something like that. Like Red Dead Redemption 3 could be in VR, but they wouldn't want to lose any of the mechanics, right? They still want to ride a horse. They still want to run around. They want to shoot guns, mm -hmm. probably play in first person, right? You know, instead of, <laughs> instead of third person. And they want to, they want to be uh, whatever the protagonist, if it's John Marston or whoever they're playing as. Uh, and, they want to, and they want to live in that world. They want to be immersed in that world. Um, and so far, VR developers have told them those things are very, very hard to do and may not be possible to do without A, getting you motion sick, and B, um, there's some issues with like you're moving one-to-one -one in the world, but your character is not moving one-to-one -one with that. And so how do we rectify that in a way that feels satisfying? Yeah, or and, maybe like the special edition like horse that you have to buy. It's like a horse dummy you buy and put in your living room and you sit on it. It's like a rocking horse <laughs> that simulates the horse riding. It's like you need yep. all these accessories. <laughs> yeah, so it goes into like, so how do we manage all these, how do we manage all these things and make something yeah. that works? And so we kind of took a step back after the last one and thought, and took another look at, like, is this possible? And, and the conclusion we came to is that it all suddenly seemed possible. It's just a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of math to get it to work. And so mm -hmm. we started chipping away at that. And what we've come to now, we, we, when we, we first showed a video on, uh, we showed a video on Node mm -hmm. uh, six months ago. It's, <laughs> yes, it's evolved it quite a bit since then. Um, but there's a glimpse of it. So there is a public glimpse of it right now. And the first thing we wanted to do uh, that I was working on is I wanted to have uh, physically controlled hands. I wanted your hands to be not your hands of this world, but your hands uh, of the game's world. So, if Wait, game, so what do you mean by physically controlled? I mean that the hands that you see in the game are completely being driven by, by Newtonian physics. And okay. that rather than just saying, hey, this frame, my hand moved here, so I'm just going to move that the position of that hand object there just one-to-one. -one. That's obviously the, the quickest and easiest way to do it. Instead, we're saying, oh, I moved by 10 centimeters and my hand weighs two kilograms. So I need to add 20 newtons of force this, in this direction on this frame to move it there. And essentially, it's almost like the way a drone flies itself. It's got a PID controller, mm -hmm. which is guiding it through the uh, sky to try to maintain its position, reacting to forces. So if you push on it, you didn't know you were going to push on it, but now it knows, oh, I'm off kilter, so I need more forces. So your hands are, are doing that. And that took a lot to, uh, to get it to be responsive and physical and then in the same muscle space of the, of the character. Hmm. So, so what does that do? What does that actually do at the end of the day? What that does is it's a, it's a fundamental transformation of what we're thinking of uh, for the VR experience. And that instead of taking you as a person into a game, you are puppeteering. You're, you're puppeteering an avatar, essentially. You're playing as a character, which is much more like Red Dead Redemption 2 and, and any other game you look at where you're playing as, that, as a character, right? Mm -hmm. And within that world, you have the same problems and the limitations and abilities and strengths of that of that character uh, and, and 
on a practical side, what that means is we can we can sort of divorce the hands from the 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 player's hands. And because we're then the next phase of it, after we have the physics hands, drawing an entire body that's uh, layered on top, uh, so you can see it, it allows us to get away with more. Where if I if I grab a heavy object and lift it up really quickly, my hand can can be slightly behind because it's holding a heavier object. Or if I grab something that weighs you know, hundreds of pounds and try to lift, my hands just won't go up or my hands will pop off because I can't pick that thing up. And suddenly you get this, like, this look that feels right for the world. And it took us a long time to kind of take, you know, I mean, you guys have had a chance to, mm-hmm. to play some of it and you guys should come by and play the, uh, the latest demo uh, whenever, whenever you're ready. Um, but essentially we've gotten into a way that, that feels, it doesn't feel sluggish or like dreamlike, like things aren't working. They feel, they feel right and they sort of reward you. For what uh, for for playing as if you're in that world, that's interesting. That's really that's really cool. I haven't like because I actually haven't played the you never demo. Even got to play, it, yeah. but it sounds it sounds like oh, yeah, though you weren't there when we filmed. The no, video. no. <laughs> but it sounds like what it's doing though on a conceptual level is when you when you mentioned the puppeteering. It's it's the concept of like yeah, it's it's not you in this world. It's this character, and so I, honestly, it's like it's like a separate level of immersion. Like it's not it's not like immersive in a first person sense, but like. You know, it's 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 a different type of connection into this game world, which yeah. I find really fascinating. And here's the interesting thing: is is everybody, as far as I know, like our greatest ally is is the players, the players' mind. Yeah, and that everybody has the ability to have uh, lucid dreams, to dream, and to to sort of imagine. Like that's sort of what makes us human. We don't know if Bandit can do that. You know, I don't think she can imagine mm-hmm. what I'm seeing. I almost had a lucid dream last night. Not to go on too big of a tangent here, <laughs> <laughs> but so we have this innate like subconscious ability to to do this, and so in a way with VR, if we can get close enough to that, the 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 player already has the ability in their mind to sort of let themselves get lost in this world and get immersed, and they want to, and almost like hypnotism, right? Where it's it's not going to work if you're sitting there and you're just saying like, I'm just going to make this person look dumb. I don't want to get hypnotized. It's like, well, hypnotism really works when the person's like, it'd be more fun if I just go along with it. And before they know, they're just kind of going along with it and they're going with it more and they get lost in it and then suddenly it's over and they're like, oh wow, I don't really, I never felt like I was out of control yet. I was just kind of on this this really fun thing, listening to these fun suggestions from from the mm-hmm. hypnotist and it was a great time. Why would I not want to do that much like a dream? Mm-hmm. Do you think, people have been saying like the, you know, not having your movement be one-to-one with your in-game character, that's a bad thing. You can't do that. It ruins your immersion when your hand in real life is one in one spot and your hand in the game is in another spot. Are they wrong? I think I think they're they're wrong, and I think we we won that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the key with that is that so beyond once you have those things working, the nice thing is that the two D presentation of that content once you film it and put it out there is much more palatable to the mainstream user. When people when you show that to people, they're like, "That is the VR that I thought we were going to get two years ago. That's what I was hoping for." And there's nothing really inherently about it that we couldn't have coded two years ago. We just didn't know how, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. apparently nobody else did either, uh, because they didn't they didn't make it yet. And it's and it's just taken <clears> us, <throat> you know, I mean, we've been working in the space for probably about four years now. It's taken us about four years to be able to code it and get it all together working. And we're just about getting ready to premiere it and uh, show it to the world. Yeah, there were all those like little rules that were suddenly invented when you started with. VR, like, oh, you can't smoothly turn outside of the player's control. That makes you sick. If you move outside of the player's control, that also makes you sick. But then maybe it doesn't, actually, if you do it for a little while. And then, you know, and like, there's always rules that people kind of just took for granted. And now I think I'm glad we're seeing people go like, wait, wait, wait. Those weren't rules. We were just, we were all fresh on the boat, like sailors yeah. <laughs> and getting seasick. But now we're okay and we can... Yeah, you never hear any like stories of like you know back in the eighteen hundreds like some people just 
just threw up on those sail- on those boats. You know, like you know, <laughs> one guy on like Columbus's ship, like he just couldn't go because <laughs> he just couldn't stop getting sick. You know, months went by, still throwing up every day. You know, it's like you don't really hear that. Like everybody, first movies, first movies like it. we can't pan the camera, else they're going to throw up. So we keep it locked off. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and then slowly they start like pushing it, and yeah. it turns out you can actually go all the way to born identity. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we reeled back from there though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's funny. Yeah. Oh man! <clears throat> so I, I had a dream last night. Sorry, I'm just gonna finish up this tangent. Tell us of your dream. Hit it. So I dreamt I woke up, and I was like, "Man, that was a crazy dream. It was so vivid." I like, and I was like, "I remember my dream taking my phone and recording it." And I looked at my phone. I'm like, "Holy crap! I have a video file on my phone. I actually have a recording from my dream on my phone. This is so weird. Like, I have." I can show people what happened. How did I manage to get this on my phone? And like th- that part was very normal. Like I was just sitting in my bed in the morning, like looking at my phone and there's a video recording from my dream on my phone that I had recorded in my dream. And I was like, this is like really revolutionary. <laughs> this is like, nobody's ever seen anything like this. And then I woke up again and I was like, oh, <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> so yeah. I've had a series of uh, lucid dreams where I, I, at the, the, the rule is at the moment of lucidity when you realize that it's a dream and that you can have control is that I I blast off flying straight up in the air as fast as I can no matter what the circumstances. So like, I'll be in a dream talking to somebody, right? And then slowly I'll be like, I'm dreaming. And I'll go, like, like, to the sky. And, and at first I was trying to get as high as I could, right? Uh-huh. At one point, I, initially I got up to space. And then I, like, I died and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't breathe. And then the next time I... When I realized I blast off, I'm like, it's a dream, no need for air. And, and I went and I went and I went all the way to the moon, right? And then, I'm sorry, I didn't leave my phone. Scam call, of course. Um, and then uh, and then it happened again, and I managed I managed to fly all the way up to to Mars. And that time, I, like, I planted a flag. Oh, really? And so as far as I know, there's a flag on Mars that if I can ever beat that, so it's like the rule is how far can you go? That's amazing. Um, so See, I hope you have persistent flags in your dreams. Versus, oh, I don't. I I've never gotten to the flag yet. So I don't know if it'll still be there next time. But oh, like, it should totally be there. It's totally gonna be there. I'll see it as I go past. Like, so long, so good. <laughs> Man, so all this awesome gaming and VR stuff has brought you up to Valve a whole bunch. I know you've been traveling up to Washington. So is 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 like are things are things getting big, getting official with those guys? Because I, I I'm a, I'd imagine you have a lot of fans up there. We've uh we've had a great relationship with uh with Valve for for a while now. Um, I think we we originally went to so dating back to 2011, mm-hmm. uh, actually with uh with Freddie. We made a video in in uh, 2011. I think it was 2011. Yeah, with uh E3 where we composited a like a, a Valve and like you know like. HL3 logo like above a booth in a corner. We're like weird. Nobody's nobody's <laughs> noticing this. And then we walk and we like when we when we filmed ourselves walking out of this random door. We're like, that was the real deal, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so we didn't we didn't think much of it. But then we uh, a few months later, uh, Freddie like talked to me. He's like, he's like, so we might be going to Valve. Uh, apparently, a bunch of foreign media latched onto that and was reaching out to them for PR statements of like, so wait, what about, what was this booth at E3? And then they got, <laughs> they got pointed to our videos. And uh, so we ended up going up there. And uh, it was right after the launch of, of uh, Portal 2, uh, which is an interesting moment in Valve history because that's, that's like the last time that they put out a, a proper single-player game, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of a turning point for what they were doing. 
And uh, we went up there and, and talked with them. Just kind of, it was kind of one of those, I mean, you guys have taken those meetings where it's like you talk about YouTube and it's like, so what is this YouTube thing? Yeah. Um, but we were, we were talking to Gabe about it and it was, it was probably the most intelligent version of that meeting I've ever had. And that, and that he asked the fewest questions and each question was 10 questions down the line where it's like he was filling in the gaps of like what was that. So it was really refreshing to see somebody get it and click. And uh, then we talked about the Steam platform and how that's kind of an interesting thing is since then, like the Steam platform has become more YouTube-like, mm-hmm. right? Where there's more, they're trying to uh, make it more open to more things going on there. Yeah. And then let algorithms curate, you know, like what gets seen by different things, less hand curation, more of that. And so uh, so that was the original time we went up there and met. And then, uh, and then years later, uh, once we started getting into VR, uh, we quickly ended up going up to, up to Valve to uh, sort of demo our stuff and uh, talk about uh, the, uh, the the headsets. And this was actually pre-HTC Vive. That was when they had their prototypes and they are working on track controllers. Uh, and they, they ended up showing us uh, an early prototype of track controllers. Mm-hmm. And we looked at those. Uh, well, this, is, uh, this is with Alex now, by the way. This is, uh, this is post, uh, post Freddy W. And, um, and so once we were up there, they showed us these track controllers. They showed us a headset. They didn't have them working together yet. You could have like one or the other. Yeah. And they're like, but they're like, but wink, wink. We had this system. <laughs> they called it the they called it the Honeywell at the time, which we Googled and we found a uh, Honeywell was uh, was a brand that was making uh, laser trackers. Hmm. Uh, turned into uh, which was basically an early version of the Lighthouse system, which I think at the time was yeah. pretty much the size of these lights. Um, and at that time, we told them like, if you guys can put. These, you know, these control, you know, controllers plus a headset in a box and ship them to consumers. We'll have a game on launch day, and they kind of laugh and they're like, "Oh, well, we won't have anything till 2018." Mm-hmm. Then uh, a few months later, the uh, the Vive ended up getting announced, and they and so we called them up and they're like, "They're like, yep, they're like, we're like, we're good on our promise. If you guys are good on your promise." And they're like, "Yeah." So they sent us some dev kits, and that's what led to Hover Junkers. Nice. And then uh, pretty much from there on, pretty much a couple times a year, we'll end up going up there and kind of trading ideas. Uh, seeing what each other are working on, talk about the VR space and uh, what, where we're where we're taking it, and then we just most recently came back from a trip where we uh, we showed them uh, showed them the latest state of Boneworks and talking about that, and so we're just continuing to march on in terms of what we're uh, what we're making and trying to get VR to uh, to a state where it can launch onto the the general public in mass. Now, Valve's not really known for making too many games anymore these days. You know, obviously, Steam's a huge focus of their business. Um, and I think you and I have theorized that this is a little bit due to like the structure of the company is such that there's not really like a boss per se. People just kind of work on what they want to work on. And I believe it's like <clears throat> you have to show results in a certain you know manner that you like what you're making is productive. And it's obviously easiest to do that if you center it around Steam and you know that aspect of things, or you know updating and upgrading Counter Strike or Dota and things like that. Mm-hmm. Would you say that the addition of VR has helped inspire people at Valve to get back into things other than Steam and like help, you know? I think so. I think it's a, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. And also I think about a year and a half ago or so, you saw a turn where they kind of consciously made a, a decision as a company because like you said, there's no, there's no structure where it's like there's no one boss mm. that's, that's saying this is what we're doing now, guys. Like get it done. Um, but they're, they're starting to get back to uh, – and you're seeing sort of the results of it happening right now, where Artifact finally launched, and uh, then the um, the update to Counter Strike with the uh, the sort of uh, uh, Battlegrounds mode came into there, and so you're st- starting to see things come off. Uh, they acquired a uh, uh, the Campo Santo team about I think a year ago now. What's, what's Campo Santo? 
they made a game called Firewatch. Oh, right, right. And uh, mm-hmm. then they're making uh, this game called In the Valley of the Gods, which is now a, uh, a now a Valve game. And so essentially that's, you know, that's presumably still being worked on up there and, and coming out. So you're seeing the sort of this conscious turn back towards uh, – towards making you know single player content and uh well and, and multiplayer content as well but you're seeing uh more games start to ship and i think i don't know it's something i kind of observed with both uh, both like blizzard and and valve that it seems like the, the 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 sort of the the maintenance of a platform and the weight of maintaining a platform the merits of that sort of outweighed and not just financially but also just in terms of numbers on the platform uh, outweighed the value of making single player experiences for a while, mm-hmm. but and I don't know about Blizzard, but but it seems like within Valve you definitely see this shift back towards uh, like there is this sort of intangible value to single player content that it builds IP better than anything else, and it builds this sort of like goodwill and good faith with the community, and that people really remember those games fondly. Like it seems like it's easier to make a a single player game like a Breath of the Wild that people look back ten years later and go, dang. That's really that's really cool than it is to do that with a multiplayer game kind of yeah. way. Like they they sort of time capsule better, right? You can still go back and play Final Fantasy VII just like the day it came out, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But you can't go back and play an online match of uh, Halo Two right now anymore, right? Unfo- yeah, unfortunately, unless you have the Master Chief Collection. Yeah, they well, ever fix that? Well, well probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, also, you know, I think you could also look at multiplayer gaming, um, kind of through the lens of like YouTube. I guess in the sense that like if you look at how YouTube democratizes slash revolutionizes like video content, you know, it's but it's it's also ad supported. So it's yeah. not like people are paying for a product. And then you look at multiplayer gaming versus single player gaming. And you've obviously over the last few years going towards like free to play models, it, it becomes almost ad based again, you know. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, gaming is that space. Unlike you know, film or paying for a movie ticket, but I think I think it's the thing where it's like people like get value, true value out of a single player like gaming experience versus a multiplayer one. You yeah. know, and, and like it's it's the it's like you know you put your sixty dollars down for a product, and you actually feel it when it's a single player title yeah. because it's like here is actual content that people have worked on and built versus a multiplayer game where it's just like you know. Hopefully it's fun to play with it. Ho- hope, hope hopefully you have every, friends. Hopefully you have friends and everyone plays nice. Uh, good luck. You know, and they, they yeah. back off. You yeah, know? I think the, the community likes to latch on to, uh, like, for both Blizzard and Valve and, and any of these, and, you know, Epic, et cetera, where they, they prioritize these big multiplayer games because, like, you look at the revenue, you know, like Riot Games, you look at the revenue that comes in from a, yeah. uh, from, a, from a MOBA or something like that with all the cosmetics, and it's like that's just bringing in billions of dollars, right? Yeah. And while that's true, it's... It's actually in the case of a platform holder, it's not the only it's not the only incentive. And the other incentive is one that's much less. Uh, it, you can't paint it as like this uh, insidious thing by the community as well. But um, these these multiplayer games bring in bring in the users. So if you're maintaining a platform and you're trying to make a good platform ecosystem for your for your other developers and other users and other people, um, you, you look at like Dota brings in you know millions of people per of the concurrence. They say there's 10 million concurrence on Steam at any given time. You know, a couple million of them are being brought in by those big, those big multiplayer games, and you figure those eyeballs are trickling over throughout the rest of the store and doing that. Whereas, you look at a single-player game like Portal Two. You know, eight years online, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of concurrence in Portal Two right now, right? So that's not really bringing new, bringing people or keeping people coming back every day. Mm-hmm. So you need these like tentpole multiplayer things that have ongoing, which which both generate revenue, but also generate viewers. So you see platform holders really want to have those things existing for a couple different reasons. And I think 
one you could frame as, you know, big bad corporation and the other you could frame as like, hey, that's actually really in the interest of the development community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like if if Riot really wanted to smarten up too, they could release their own. I mean, it, it's basically a platform at that point like Steam, you know, yeah. except the they only have one game. <laughs> yeah, imagine how many games Riot's canceled at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> why don't think you, you think why don't you think Riot has launched any more games? I think there's I think they I think they've gotten they fell into the trap of we don't want to put it out unless it's like has a chance to be another league. Oh, that's a bad trap. And that's a bad trap. Good right? luck trying to make another league. <laughs> and every year that goes past, every time you cancel one, it's like puts more weight on the next one where it's like in hindsight, it's like, man, we should have just been shipping things, right? Yeah. Got a monkey off our back. Yeah. Somehow, somehow Blizzard managed to get that monkey off their back with Overwatch and Hearthstone too, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <clears throat> so, um... I, I have a question. Yeah, hit it. You go. You have Blizzard, and they make somehow they make popular games frequently. Not mm-hmm. all, you know, not every six months, but around once every two years. So they yeah. seem to drop a new game. Then you have Riot, and they haven't been able to make a, a game since League of Legends that's been popular. Mm-hmm. Um, now popularity and understanding popularity has been like a cornerstone of your approach to business and media. I mean, if you look back to when you were running the Freddie W channel with Freddie, understanding popularity and not only like what's popular, but how to make it fresh and how to make it original and make people talk about it. Like that's, that's like what you guys launched that channel on and what you used, that skill you used to build it up to be, I think you hit number five or number four or something like that for a moment. Uh, we, hit, we hit five, but mach- I, it depends if you count machinima. Oh, okay. <laughs> Machinima was number four, which is like, mm, they, I mean, they put like 15,000 videos, right? It was kind of a different beast. The, the, the ones that were in our league were like, you know, were... Uh, Ryan uh, Higa and... Yeah, Niki Higa, Smosh, and uh, Ray William Johnson, right? Yeah. And then we were we were right there. Yeah. <clears throat> so you've, you've had this thought process about, you know, you understand how to make something popular that people want. But you're not necessarily overly derivative about it. Like you're not going out there and making like a Fortnite clone. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're figuring out how to do a twist, how to bring something fresh to the table. And I'm curious, like, what is that thought process like? Like, how do you come to these ideas? Like, where where is your head at to create these these popular ideas? Whether it's a short film idea or a video game idea. I think the uh, before before even that, I think the fir- the cornerstone of it is uh, you have to have a highly iterative process. Mm-hmm. And that, and your iterations have to have a quick turnaround, right? And that you see a lot of like, like the sort of the the battlegrounds wave right now. You're seeing a lot of people two years removed release their battlegrounds clones, mm-hmm. and they didn't pull the trigger on their iteration on their on their versions of them soon enough. They waited they waited for PUBG to make you know half a billion dollars, and they're like, oh, that's a good idea, let's <laughs> make one. And then 18 months later, they hit market, and everyone's like, mm, the wave, you know, it's already crashing on the beach, right? It's mm-hmm. already it's already over. And, uh, and then you look back and you see, you know, Arma 3 with the Battle Royale and you see the Minecraft mod of Battle Royale and you see the culling with its like early sort of indie version of Battle Royale. And it's like, why didn't you guys pull the trigger back then? Why didn't you start making your iterations of it, you know, earlier? And the ones that did, they're the ones that got rewarded. Um, if you wait until it reaches that level of success, you've waited too long. And that's, and that's just like cloning, you know, somebody else's concept or doing that. Um, with, the, with both the Friday W channel and now with game development, uh, we tried to always have a very quick turnaround in that uh, most ideas, even though there was an idea book that was always growing and growing because uh, we'd write down anything that we had that was 
addition to it, most of the ideas were things that we came up with that week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you see in TV, you see South Park has a very similar process where you know, they're, they're pretty much making that new episode those two weeks before it comes out and they're putting it out. And because they have a faster response time than everybody else, uh, you can get out ahead of all of those waves before they crash. So that's, that's just in sort of riffing on pop culture. Um, and then beyond the pop culture side of it, by having that, those iterations, by getting more repetitions in than, uh, than your peers, I think you're, it's like you're exercising like a mental, like a mental muscle that, that most people will never take the time to develop or never have the opportunity to develop. Because uh, once you, ideating is a, is a skill just like, just like anything else. And there's, you obviously you're born with a certain amount of natural you know, aptitude and then you're raised in a parental environment which either fosters that aptitude or, or squashes <laughs> it, you know. And then you finally get to the point where you spread your wings and you're, a, you're an individual person and you've either worked on it a lot or you haven't. And uh, it's never too late even if you haven't had those things, but it's, you're going to have to get those reps in beyond your natural aptitude. It's like a, it's like a D&D character, right? You have your natural role in your skill and then you can, you can keep grinding it out or you can neglect it and let it sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting ourselves in that situation where we were trying to grind out, I always say like, uh, so we grew up in, we all grew up together in mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I like referring to Minnesota, especially now we're in game development as a uh, sandbox state. Right? <laughs> and that you had a lot of space. Uh, there was very little threat from the law and there was a lot of physics objects around that you could, <laughs> you could combine and mold in any different way. And there wasn't a whole lot of like prescribed like activities that were just like already made for you. We're sort of at the beginning of that wave where it's like our parents were like, man, we didn't have, you know, VAA soccer when we were growing up. We're going to enroll you in this thing and this thing. And it's like, no, no, I want to, I want to quit all those things. And instead just like, just have free time, right? Like after school, come home and it's just like, just a, just a, just a boy in the wilderness. And yeah. you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to cut this tree down with a shotgun, you know, and I'm just going to shoot it 20 times and be like, it didn't fall over. Now I know, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, like it's like important life skills. Yeah. I think we, did we shoot the tree with a shotgun? We did. Yeah. I actually cut down a tree at my dad's house with a shotgun. <laughs> like, see, yeah. What, uh, how, how far away do you have to be from a shotgun blast to not get hurt? <laughs> <laughs> that was another experience we did. We're like, right. at, uh, at 150 yards, it will only go through one side of the soda can. So therefore, if I stand 200 yards, it probably won't go through my skin. You're right, it won't. Don't, don't try that one. <laughs> Not recommended. Close your eyes. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, tell me the story. Oh, we, it, was, it, was, it was just like, we had this neighbor, the this, this Slingers, that always was like, you know, you slingers? To, slingers. Was wow. Slingers. What a last name. The slingers. <laughs> um, and we'd go over to their backyard and it was always like, we'd set up um. Uh, I was Luke Frederick, myself, and uh, and, the, and the the Slinger boys, and we'd grab a bunch of shotguns and rifles and set up targets. and And their dad would always, um, even though they weren't uh, impoverished, he'd always like bring home like boxes of fruit from the like the food stamps type of thing, which mm-hmm. he probably shouldn't have been. That was for the poor people. But he was bringing them home because he's like, "This is good fruit. We're gonna eat this." And <laughs> it was always going bad, and so we'd always just like go and shoot that fruit in the backyard. <laughs> and after a while, shooting fruit, you know, you get you get a little bored. And uh, mm-hmm. we wanted to try testing to see if, uh, if you know, like what at what range does the shotgun lose effectivity, and at what range is it less powerful than like a BB gun as far as getting shot? Because we'd have BB gun fights with each other, mm-hmm. and so we, after a series of tests, we progressed to the point of uh, of determining that about at 150 yards, it was only going through one side of of a, of a soda can. So we're like, we'll comfortably go a little further away. And then, uh, and then I believe it was, yes, yeah, Adam Slinger that went out there. He, he lost the, you know, he lost the <laughs> rock, paper, scissors tournament. And this is really never, even though to do all the tests when it's like, 
when it's like, I think it was Luke Frederick that was holding the gun. And uh, <laughs> he's holding it and pointing at him. And Adam's like, he's like, you really want me to do this? And, and Adam's like, it's too late. You got to do it. And we're like, we're all like, this is a terrible idea. And we're like, sure is. Let's do it anyways. You know? Oh, man. And, um, and nothing bad happened. We fired the gun. It hit him. He's like, eh. Because <laughs> he got like a couple beams around his back, you know the spread was pretty far at that point, but he had yeah. like a few little red marks, and he was he was good to go. Did so he have like a jacket on? The or deer lived. He was wearing like a sweatshirt, like a hoodie, and, and he like, like turned away. Up. Right, he was he was back, you know, back yeah. to it, you know, yeah, like, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then we wow. did it once. That was it. We're like, once is enough. We did it. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 I can only hope that like I can raise my son like well enough to trust him to literally play with guns like safely. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I, I don't know if that qualifies. Does that qualify as safely? Like on one hand, yeah. You guys learned a lot about guns and you did your proper experiments and your iteration to make sure it was safe. Yep. Do you do <laughs> your test? Of. I think I think a lot of like my early like life ma- mantra was that everybody always wants to say like don't do that you'll die. Mm-hmm. And they're like the worst case scenario was always you die. And that's a very lazy worst case scenario because mm-hmm. worst case scenario is rarely just so simple as you die, you know? It's like what is the actual worst case scenario? And so trying to do a very realistic like analysis of of what's the actual risk here? What's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? And instead of thinking best case scenario, we could become billionaires and worst case scenario, we die. Which is like this very like broad like range. Yeah. Like, neither of those things usually ever happen. You know, like I've never had been died and I've never become a billionaire. So I was like, everything so far in life has been like much narrower in terms of like the range of expectations. And so it's like trying to instill thought process of like, this is what the actual risk is at hand. What is actual worst case scenario? And then after doing something, be like, did I experience the worst case scenario because in any it's like schrodinger's box right you like you open up it's like only one thing is actually going to happen so theoretically you could know mm-hmm. what was going to happen if you keep exercising this skill and so early on i wanted to uh i wanted to do that and that's kind of what led us to like all the pyrotechnics and stuff was because we're like it's not the real the worst case scenario is not necessarily you die not in all situations um although most people consider we are flirting with that um instead we were trying to like narrow down like what can we do and learn and understand these things and it's really just a bunch of like physics tests which kind of leads to what we're what we're doing now you know we're making a mm-hmm. we're trying to make a virtual physics world which all these things kind of apply to and trying to figure out how how we can uh you know what, what rules and the fundamental rules and like only certain things actually can happen um so early on yeah we wanted to uh we wanted to test those things and i don't know i mean my, my mom's a second grade teacher she's <laughs> she's uh, at, a, at a private you know catholic school she's very uh very uh, you know, not not the type that would ever take risks bandit <laughs> um, you know, like that, and for whatever reason, like they, they she just, she, I mean, she didn't like it what we were doing, but mm-hmm. she, but she trusted us, and and not, and we never, we never went so far that uh, that we, you know, we that we burned our bridge, or we, we know, we never crossed that line where there was like a trip to the hospital, or the ambulance came, where it was like a moment in time where someone could go like, all right, no more of that activity, right? Because mm-hmm. those are usually like once when you when you cross the line and something sticks out, that's when you get like slapped with the uh, you know the authority, where it's like nope. No more explosions in the yard, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, so so we were trying to uh, we were trying to like figure out what the range of what we could actually do, and I think that set us up. And somehow we were gifted with uh, with a couple parents that didn't immediately freak out. And it was a different political and uh, time in the world where even at the time it seemed like it's like man, 
the nineties like are so like strict. There's so many rules and back in like the seventies or the sixties, like it was so much better. It's like, turns out the nineties are pretty sweet too. Uh, Cause all these things now, it seems like, I'm like, I don't know. It seems like yeah. we were really pushing the line on well, some yeah. stuff. We were on private property for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do feel like watching, you know, watching like fail videos where people like hurt themselves. The biggest difference between them and us growing up was that they don't iterate. They go immediately to the the full stunt. Yep. <laughs> or not to pick on Adrian here, <laughs> but when he broke his collarbone diving over that table, like there wasn't a moment where he's like, cool, let me just do a warm up dive. I'm just gonna do a diving roll onto a pad. No table, no nothing. Let me just let me see if I can do that without hurting myself. Oh, that hurt. I won't do it over a table or oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. I'm a little warmed up now. I can yeah. step it up a little bit further. Yep. Yeah. Alcohol inspired zero to 60. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's how most people take these things. It's like they get psyched up for this big sun. And probably internet videos aren't helping that, right? Yeah. No. They get people confidence well, to jump to the It's like end all game. the people like blowing up fireworks in their hand and stuff. It's like, no, you got to smart. You, you start small, you go to bottle rockets, then the Roman candles. All right. And then you go to those big artillery ones. Like, you know, there's an order of operations here. You know, you have to get comfortable. You know, familiar with fuse lengths and how fast they burn. Yep. How much like sparks shoot out and like how hot that is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, it's like And there is yeah. variance there, right? Like yeah. sometimes they burn faster and sometimes they burn slower. It's not a hundred percent consistent. And like knowing so that, like, go like this could blow up the moment like the flame touches it and And then having that risk factor, you're like, Okay, I'm not going to do that. That one even if like it's a two percent it's two percent too much, I might lose my hand. You know, yeah, or whatever. what they don't see when I'm throwing the bottle rocket is that I'm I'm checking the the how much paper overlap there is. Oh yeah. You know, like there's some of this is a quarter inch and sometimes there's none, you know? Yeah. So it's like you need to know when you're timing your throw yeah. based on that. But that doesn't make the video. You know? Exactly. I remember a big part of what we were doing when we were young, like when we were you know, when I'd go to your place or Sam and I would go to your place and be messing with stuff, like a lot of that was we're trying to figure out how they did this, the magic of special effects in movies. Yeah. You know, Idolizing if, action movies. Yeah. It's like bullet hits and explosions and pyrotechnics and even, you know, even stuff that wasn't like fire based, but still like stunt based. Like, um, I remember when I, I discovered that crash pads were just cardboard boxes. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like, you know, there's like the smaller crash pad, and there's the airbags, but for the most part, it's just cardboard boxes. And it's like, wait, I can get cardboard boxes and, you know, calling up the Walmart be like, Hey, can I have some of your boxes? And then like, they're like, uh, yeah, I guess Just come on over. <laughs> and you're like, hi, I'm the 15 year old kid that asked for all your cardboard boxes. <laughs> yeah. Here's the, here's the compressor. Go ahead and take whatever you want, you know? Um, and then setting them up and then not immediately jumping off the roof onto the cardboard boxes, <laughs> yep. but setting them up, taking a couple steps up the ladder Falling from five feet above the boxes. Okay, that wasn't so bad. Let's take it up to eight feet. That wasn't so bad. Let's take it up to ten feet. Okay, now it's starting to get a little stingy. <laughs> you yep. know, it's like you yep. start to you don't just immediately go from zero to a hundred. You yeah, work your way that's up. That's funny. Yeah. I was watching the uh, the the Jake Paul uh, Shane Dawson documentary series, mm-hmm. and in that they were doing a they were doing a big stack of cardboard boxes they're jumping into, and there's this like one cutaway moment where they're they're tying a piece of twine around the cardboard boxes and Shane's like, oh, why are you doing that? They're like, oh, you got to do that to make it hold together so you don't just go through the crack. And I was like, at that moment, I'm like, Jake Paul had the exact same childhood that I did, <laughs> except for I had better role models and a better like <laughs> familial unit to fall back on, like support system. <laughs> but it's like, it's interesting seeing, I was like, that's not common knowledge, you know, <laughs> but, but the same tricks, you know? Yeah. It's funny. So obviously that, that whole process, I mean, I know for myself and for Nico and then for you, that that is what primed us to become successful on YouTube. 
as well because you know we're so focused on short short form content spectacle like it's like what we liked i think worked really well especially in the early days of youtube where it's Mm -hmm. like you have people unsure what to upload and then you have people uh like yourself where you're like okay action spectacle like we can do this for for nothing because we've been doing it for nothing for years now we're just learning how to film it better yep and um how how do you think like what experiences there like like do you think helped you i guess become successful on youtube like i guess anything from like was it was it i don't know like or or, i don't even know where this question is going but like (laughs) i i get it i i think i think a, a key thing with the the freddie w aesthetic yeah was that we never got we were never, I never felt like we were rewarded for becoming, for crossing a line, a certain line of like professionalism in certain aspects. Like never once did I get rewarded for, for dressing Friday up in a costume or getting like makeup done or something like that. Mm. Like almost every video concept, it's like we did get rewarded for, for visual effects or a stunt or some twist or, you know, a, 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 a funny idea. But what we mm. didn't, but doing that in a t-shirt and jeans was almost always better received than doing it like in a Master Chief costume or something mm. like that. Okay. Um, so something we, that I always try to keep it like, uh, pushed away from is not trying to build this up towards making, uh, making like Hollywood style cinematics is that this is its own medium, its own format. And what's working on YouTube is trying to make, keep it accessible to the audience. And that like, this is still just like some guys that could be your friends. You know, this is like, it still have this vibe of like everyone knew that guy in high school or knew that group or mm. had someone, you know, it was like, it was kind of like flirting with the, like, you know, messing around with cameras and doing it. It's like, this is just this, that executed on the highest level, but it's not trying to turn the corner to suddenly like, Oh, this is an audition piece for, for Hollywood. I'm hoping to get noticed and make a, and make a, make the next big movie or TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's um, my pilot for my comedy short series or whatever yeah yeah i was very adamant that i'm like i'm not i don't want to build that channel to try to leverage towards hollywood and that's not the future that i want it to go towards because i think that is kind of destructive towards what that is mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah i mean i feel like that's then that's something i always am asking myself even to this date which is like you know like obviously we've had bigger aspirations to try and like I guess jump ship is the easiest way to say, you know, into like bigger projects or longer form content. But in a way it's like, yeah, this is, it is its own medium and and it's its own, I guess, skill, you know, profession. Having having done some of those bigger projects, like I've realized at least how, how great the YouTube ecosystem is, at least for what I want to do. Yeah. And I think Mm -hmm. a little bit for what we all want to do, you know, it's working even if you're a director on a multi-million dollar film, like you are not in charge. Yep. And it's not that fun. <laughs> yep. The okay. moment that I was done with the, the Freddy W channel was the moment that we had uh, trailers for the actors on the set of EJHS. Mm. I saw, I walked into the trailers to go get the actors and I looked around and I'm like, this isn't, this isn't me anymore. This isn't, this isn't what I'm aspiring to. This is not what I want to make. Um, and it's not that I don't think that that can be good. It's just a completely different avenue for that that's that's like a fundamental fork mm-hmm. in uh in what we're trying to create and that's like on a that's on a creative side and then on the on the on the business side uh, that coincided with youtube's switch over to uh per minute uh right which you kind of touched on earlier it's like per minute versus per view mm-hmm. uh if you're financially rewarding something per per minute it ultimately we've seen it took years to sort of manifest itself but we've seen how that's like dictated the, the content on the platform of youtube you know everything's trying to be 
longer? How can we serve up more ads? And ads comes up every about every seven minutes. And so how do you user retention, et cetera? Whereas before it was just like, it doesn't matter what the length of it is. We're just trying to get them in there. And then for me, games is still not a per hour thing unless you go into the the multiplayer, you know, like yeah. uh, subscription model. But on the on the single player side, the narrative side, which is why you know, like Boneworks is still gonna be a narrative game. It's uh you're you're ultimately you're paying some dollars and you get a game and you're gonna play that game. And I hope everyone that plays it is like, that was worth the dollars. I'll do that again, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess just going to rewind a little because I, I, you mentioned, so seeing trailers on the set of EGHS was definitely, seems, seems like one of the defining moments um, of like when you were making that decision to part ways. But I was wondering, did you know, I guess, before then, I uh, pre-VGHS, like as you're working on the channel, um, what were you feeling that like you were ready to move on or what, what was that like? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard, it's an interesting time to go back to because yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely was like a, over the, over a year long decision, right? It's like mm-hmm. this kind of like, you know, things are, things are changing on the platform. We started to get to the point where it's like, you know, we, it's like, do I want to try to push this? Cause a lot of YouTubers don't talk about it. It's like, uh, they, the, the YouTuber burnout is often, it's like the, the thing that fuels them is that, is that rise that like that that riding the wave the getting up on the surfboard right you know like you're trying to get like trying to make it grow and inevitably at a certain point that sort of plateaus off and it's like either we're going to keep pushing this to be number one on YouTube you know from number five or whatever mm-hmm. or or leverage it into something else you know and keep going but it's like in a way um, what keeps you pulling the all nighters what keeps you up and keeps you drive is that is that sort of momentum and I think you see a lot of YouTubers turn that corner and they attribute it just to like broadly as burnout mm-hmm. but really it's once they aren't the hottest, newest thing anymore, uh, it's like they, they kind of have to get into this like holding pattern where it's like, all right, now we just need to like maintain the audience. And it's like, obviously, like Smosh did a very good job. I mean, it was, it was, it was a business that was sort of controlling all of that that kind of kept them on a schedule, you know, but as far as being like a perennial thing that just kept going. But uh, accepting this role of like just like kind of continuing to churn things out and you have to ask yourself these at that moment of turning, it's like, do I try to reinvent what this thing is? Mm-hmm. and and let it take that you know let this ride keep going do i change what i'm doing and uh and try to go after again am i do i want in my life right now this transition of like am i ready to kind of get to a more nine to five and like get into that holding pattern and maybe you know be more interested in having and having kids or you know getting married something like that like let that be the, my new project you know because mm-hmm. i think all of us share that right we have a we have to have a project or it's like yeah. you get this mm-hmm. like this thing that drives you and it's like in my head i'm like i wasn't I wasn't ready for that transition. And it's like, and, and Freddie's reaction to it was very much like he wanted to do VGHS and, and Netflix series and try to like go that way. Cause he was, I mean, remember back at USC, he was more, uh, he was the film student that was the more traditional film student. I was partially in the film program, but then I also did sociology. I was kind of more of a wild card in that, that I wasn't, I never really liked Hollywood. I didn't like coming out to LA. I didn't really like what I saw. And I kind of liked the way we did it in Minnesota better. Mm-hmm. And so I always kind of had like a, I don't know, I kind of wanted to throw the finger to the man a little bit more, you know, like, I don't want to join you. I don't want to, I don't want to like sort of put, you know, reinvent what you're doing. It's like, I kind of want to like topple it a little bit, you know? Um, so I was spending that, that time kind of figuring out like, it's like, obviously we went forward with VGHS and doing that. And that was, uh, the first season of it was still, was still very, um, there was, there was some elements of both sides of it, you know? And so there was some joy to be found in there and like working with some of the pyrotechnics and doing stuff like that. But then by the time, that kind of wrapped up. It was like the full on switch was in like, let's go to 
uh, let's uh, incorporate, let's make this a thing, let's staff up, let's try to uh, get away from the all-nighters and uh, try to regulate the schedule a little bit more. Um, and uh, so that kind of left me uh, left me searching. So I was still doing some videos then. I was working with uh, working with uh, Kevin, who is still uh, over here doing uh, game development with us today. Mm-hmm. And we were doing like sort of these higher-end, like more, more visual effects heavy. I was getting more and more into the computer work side of things. Like I was finding myself enjoying the computer work more than the the sort of on-set work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then without, so Freddie was always the one that would, would push me to more get something out the door, like, like, hey, we're shooting it today. Let's just go. That, you know, and, and, I, and I fell into the trap more where it's like, I'm like, oh, I'll, just, I'll take another week on this one. You know, so I started <laughs> working on, so I started to be like kind of going these ideas. So it's like the, uh, and, and, and developing these videos. And, uh, and then ultimately, like after sort of like a year of that, I was like, you know, it's probably time to split ways with this. And I kind of started looking into what's next and i had a, a, a sort of a probably a six-month period there where i was coming to work around like you know like two in the afternoon or <laughs> something that. like that like i was kind of <laughs> like i was kind of like yeah but it's like it was, i was i was resting a little bit you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and then uh and then it ended up being the trip up to uh the valve that i mentioned earlier where they showed us the hardware we're like if this goes into a box we're gonna make vr content you know and i started looking into game stuff and it's like i'm enjoying the computer side of things more and it suddenly got this new like creative charge uh, to uh, to do that, and so sort of channeled that that wild west energy of like wanting to make something new into that side of things. That's super cool. Yeah, you tried streaming for a little bit in there in the middle of all that. Yeah, that was um that was another that's that was early like we had the game development studio. The idea was like let's try to develop some games like uh, that play off of the streaming platform and build like the streaming platform and try to make like sort of an interactive thing with that, and then largely. Largely, streaming I found to be really lonely, um, which is a weird statement, and I don't think it's talked about enough because mm-hmm. everyone's like, "Well, how could it be lonely? You have thousands of people watching, you know, as doing it." But it's like it's a very maybe maybe there needs to be a new word added to the language, you know? <laughs> it's like it's not you're not alone, but it's like you couldn't be farther. Yeah, you're right. There's probably a German thing for that, right? It's like yeah, yeah. it's like uh, we could this, like make up a German word for it, like Schnaffengarten. No, you're totally right though, because it's it's something that's very unique to like the last five or six years here. Yes, I mean even it it applies even I, I guess on YouTube. You know, yep. you have people with audiences that are in the millions, and yet they've never met a single one of them, and there's no connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or when they do, there's such a divide. It's not like it's it's not like oh, I'm with my people now. It's I'm this entity and you're all this other entity mm-hmm. and you're all looking in and I'm kind of like looking out into this void of like, of you know, and it's, and it's usually you try to make these personal connections. Yeah. But yet the, the way the relationship has been formed is not, it's not a healthy foundation for any relationship to like transition to real life. I don't think, you know, mm-hmm. like if you meet somebody that's been spent a hundred hours already watching you. So they already know about your, your life and your family and everything about you and you don't know anything about them and now you're trying to like how do you well it's yeah it's, it's, it's the loneliness of you being the only one on a stage well or yeah. it's, it's you're <laughs> performing a audience in, around you <laughs> you're performing in a glass box with like one-way mirrors or two-way mirrors you know it's like you have no idea what the reaction is but like trust me there's millions of people out there <laughs> yeah we yeah. call it stage loneliness that's my word for it I stage loneliness yeah. yeah that's that's probably it's probably a well-documented thing actually just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is actually <laughs> yeah but yeah you see i mean you definitely see signs of all the youtubers and uh and twitch stars like they, they suffer from it right you see yeah. them uh i think i mean though and i think the ones that can really succeed are the people who are able to like over overcome that and like over i guess 
I guess it's 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 the idea of imagining that these that like sorry I guess imagining is the word. The people are actually watching. There are the, the these are real people, but being able to like get over that mental hurdle of just because you can't see them or can't hear them or whatever, it's like really embracing that and like really understanding that and using that to fuel your performance in a way. I guess that's one way of putting it. That reminds me of when Sam, when you and I went up to this is actually a node integration, <laughs> um, but Sam mm-hmm. and I were the ones who drew the stars for this one. Oh, um, uh, we went up to Ubisoft in San Francisco to play. I think it was Far Cry Four. Far Cry Four, yeah, I remember that. That and was crazy. It was co-op, so it was like the perfect. Sam and I will go up and we'll co-op it. Yeah, and we will record some footage of that, and there's our node video. And we go up and we sit in a room, and there's all these other streaming personalities. I didn't really know any of them. Um, YouTubers, streamers, every, every, everything. Yeah. And so they were all alone. They're all by themselves. Um, Sam and I were the only people who went up as a team to play co-op together. Everybody else was playing by themselves. Yep. So like, oh, okay. And so Sam and I sit down to start playing and like, like regular friends, you just start having fun together and you start talking and like, that's it. You know, you're just playing the game together. Yep. It's completely normal. But all these other guys, they sit down, they start playing. Suddenly they all start getting really loud and they're talking, but they're not talking to anyone. They're by themselves. Each one of them is by themselves, loudly talking to themselves. And it was really, really weird. (laughs) They're like erupting into laughter and then making goofy voices and talking about the animals and stuff. And it's just like, whoa, like you guys actually do that live. Like you don't just record the footage and then just go home. I mean, some, I mean, I feel like the more proper method is record it quietly. And then you go home and then you just riff over a microphone <laughs> over the footage. Yeah. And it feels like the, it feels like that sequence in Baraka with like the, with the chickens, like all the little chickens yeah. going to the hatchery and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh God. It, just, it felt like I was surrounded by a bunch of crazy people for a moment there yeah. because well, like you're in an insane asylum because yeah, every, it's like, like everyone's whoop, 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 I'm driving the car. And it's like, it's there's just a dude sitting by himself playing a video game. Like, what, this, what do you do? like when I play video games, I, 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 I shut up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm silent for two hours. But like the, the yeah, the relative weirdness would be like imagine imagine like Jimmy Kimmel just like in his house by himself doing the Jimmy Kimmel show <laughs> night after night, you know, yeah. like alone, or like the announcers of a football game, like Bob Costas for the Olympics is just like just doing the Olympics by myself over here, and it's like it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. It's super weird. Can you imagine somebody just like watching a football game and like announcing while they're by themselves, like sitting on the couch? Yeah, this is like, or yeah, imagine you have to be like, you're like, I'm a new football announcer, right? I'm just going to put a camera on myself and a mic, and I'm announcing the game. Like, That's funny. No one's tried that yet, right? You could do it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, shut I'm you sure, down I'm sure you go yeah. on Twitch. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> live football commentary by just anyone. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It's super crazy. <laughs> well, uh, here's here's just one thought I was thinking about a little bit here. Um, and maybe there's not an actual answer to it, but uh, early in our conversation, we were talking about Steam mm-hmm. and how it kind of has shaped the gaming industry in a, in a similar way to how YouTube has shaped, uh, I guess, filmmaking in the video. Yeah. Um, especially when we see like early access titles and how it's made it so more people can produce it. Um now, on YouTube, though, we're kind of starting to see, you know, I guess that's been curbed lately through how they want to optimize it through, oops, sorry, how they want to optimize it, you know, through through watch time and how, like, bigger companies are finally starting to buy into it and things like that. Um, what do you think would hurt the gaming industry, I guess, in, in that similar sense? You know, uh, like, is, is, I guess, with, with, you know, who, how could you spoil what's good about the state of 
PC gaming right now. Uh, it'd be entirely a switch over to uh, developers being paid per hour of playtime. Mm. Pretty much, if mm. they uh, that and that's something that's been obviously uh, tossed around by a lot of competitors and a lot of different companies as like as a model, right? If they switched over to you pay, tw- you, you get the twenty bucks a month, you know, subscription to you know the Netflix model of uh, of uh-huh. Steam or something like that, right? And then the revenue is distributed based on per hour of playtime what you play. Yeah, Spotify like psychological manipulation environment. Yeah, to playing games. Are fun. Well, I mean, Spotify model. How if, much different is that from just like uh, throwing in quarters into an arcade machine, though? In a sense, very similar to 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 an arcade machine. I think the difficulty is you'd see similarly to an arcade, like how the content is developed. Right? It's like you're now. It's a completely different parameter set of parameters that you're developing for, where you're thinking of how do I maximize how many quarters they put in. Mm-hmm. So I better I better kill the player here on this boss or something like that. It's not it's not as much about how much it's fun. It's how many quarters does it take to beat this game. Mm-hmm. It's I got to get them far enough <clears throat> in the first quarter to get them hooked to make them think that they just need one more quarter, and then tease them with the ending. So it's like oh we're so far, just like just another quarter, just another mm-hmm. quarter, right? And to try to get them in there, and that's 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 a slightly different model because presumably your players have an unlimited number of quarters or whatever, or they can, they can, they can somehow produce more quarters, right? Cause you're looking at a relatively small amount of money that, I mean, obviously sure. for a lot of kids, like they have, they've got a, a stack and when they're out, they're going to leave. But, uh, but most, you know, like they can come back once their allowance are in place more. Right. But if it's per month and it's per like a set amount of time, like the Netflix model, then suddenly the way you're creating your content is entirely based on watch time or play time. It just, some things would come out of it that would arguably be better, but other things would come out of it that are significantly worse. And that like a, a lot, a large genre of games uh, that I point to, like like uh, Inside or something like that, like a shorter game that's probably like a little more premium per dollar, so like you know like eight bucks per per hour of gameplay or so, completely dies out over the course of the next five years. Like that ceases to exist. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of games like DayZ or a or PUBG or something like that, something that's going to put lots and lots of hours of gameplay uh, for you know for uh, for the amount of dollars you pay for it, that's the type of thing that's going to get the lion's share of the revenue. So, is that better? Is that worse? I don't know. It's it's definitely different. It, just like YouTube, it would change the content that's out. And so, I think you could. I just I'd encourage any of the platforms to think how long and hard about. Where they what how they want to sculpt the content and what packages they want to do and how that no matter what they do, they're the way the financial incentivization works uh, forms the creative, and mm-hmm. the creative will match the financial model because ultimately it costs money to develop these things. Yeah, and they're going to have to adapt to that, right? That makes sense. I mean, that's basically what you're seeing with what more or less amounts to gambling right now in free to play games. Yep, you know the creative falls into trying to encourage you to. Well, it's just that it's hooking you in and giving those little like bits of success and starting to tie that to, oh, you'll get more of that success if you start spending a little bit of money. Yeah. Yeah. Something I've been playing around with. So right now the way that reviews work on, on steam are it's, it's everything goes right. Like all the reviews go in and you're seeing over the last couple of years, a lot more negatively reviewed games, right? Because Mm -hmm. the community has largely realized that the best way to get the attention of a developer is to leave a negative review and then when they address that issue, maybe you switch it to positive or maybe you don't. But essentially, that's your forum now mm-hmm. to post there. And 
not nearly, it's not really, I don't think it's really affecting the bottom line. I think it's affecting the psychology of a lot of, like the, the, the psychological state of a lot of the developers. The tantrum tactic. Yeah, because they take it very <laughs> personally when they see all those negative reviews. You know, they see the red and they want to make the red go away, right? Which is, <laughs> means it's working, you know, like you're getting their attention. But there's this other, like the, the community hub, which they don't, you know, which is supposed to be the venue for that, that people don't want to use because the, the review bombing is the more direct tactic. Um, and then you have the issue of like of users that I find myself in the category of um, something I've always liked about gaming is I imagine that there's going to be this emergence of the equivalent of like a Western in film where you have like these like kind of like older dudes or like these genres of like these older dudes are into like first man was a movie with Ryan Gosling that came out like that's an mm-hmm. older dude movie, right? That's sure. like like yeah. 35, 40 year olds are going to go and like get a beer and then go see that movie together or something like that. Although I, I heard it's more of like just a family drama is it don't yeah. go to space you dang spaceman you're gonna die you're leaving your family out you there. still got business on earth you dang spaceman you just want to go and commit suicide just find and just jump off a bridge <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah i haven't seen it so maybe it's a bad example that's what, that's no, what, that's what i heard even more than that guys how about this here's, a good out one. There. here's what i just me going to go on the moon escape with responsibilities on earth mm, you know what man. happens when i go to the moon I bring hope. And he's like, no, I'm not. But Not then, just to you and me, but to all of America. You and your crazy yeah. boys want to just drink brewskis on the the moon? <laughs> Anyways, that's First Man. That's by Ryan Gosling. You did see it? <laughs> no. Okay, I saying, hope it is. I'm pretty sure we're, we're hitting the nail okay, on the head right Here's there. a movie that I did see that's it's not like Apollo 13. Oh, uh, like The Revenant, right? The okay, Revenant. Revenant. There we go. It's Revenant. Like, clearly like this is like... Or, you know, any Western type of thing like that. I want that to emerge <laughs> in gaming where like you figure like there's all these guys like us. You know, I'm, I'm 32 now going on 33 and like as we start to get older 40 like you got like you know the, the Clint Eastwood filmmakers I want to be like a Clint I, eventually I want to be like a 60 70 year old Clint Eastwood developer that's like making games for the retirement home you know where <laughs> it's like you know it's like for that for this genre but the problem I see is that if if all the reviews of the games are going to be filtered through like the latest generation of of 12 year olds and 14 year olds it's like that's not very good information for the older aging gamer who kind of comes in. And I think, I think we're all learning to like tune out the review system because it's like, I always look at a game and I see like, okay, like this is that 70% positive. I do a quick analysis. I'm like, I bet most of the negative reviews are because like not worth $20 for the short length. And I scroll down and I see a bunch of them. I see, yep, yep, yep. So I filter those out. I'm like, I'm like okay, so this is actually probably like a 90% in my, <laughs> yeah. for, for my demo. Cause I'm, I'm of the, I'm of the age where I'm like, I'm not looking for an 80 hour game in this. I'm looking to play like, I want a really good, four hours of gameplay. I want to sit down over two nights, play this thing and then get back to my life. And I'm okay with spending, you know, a movie ticket price, you know, 20 bucks or something like that to do that. And I understand that's not for everybody, but I'm like, how do you make it so that there's uh, a way within the system to like differentiate these games where it's like, I almost want it like the old like Netflix model where you like say like, what are 20 games you like or whatever, relate these things. And then based on that, they're like, based on your, here's the overall communities, like here's the overall rescore, but here's like, what we think you'd give it, you know, cause you have a history of really wanting a hundred hours of content for, for 10 bucks. And so therefore this is the game for you. Or you've got a history of like, you want, you don't really even finish the games you play. You tend to put about four hours each and you like you, you highly rated this game. So therefore this one's for you. I think there's a lot of room for like algorithmic, uh, you know, like for these, for like a secondary system on top of the first one to help recommend things like that to That makes uh, a lot of sense. Users. Yeah, I'm surprised that I mean Steam kind of <clears throat> kind of starts to do that a little bit, but not in the way you're describing. I, I would even just say like, yeah, like the, the review. I, I've seen the same thing with reviews. Yeah, it's I most mean, it's mostly like a time to money ratio. That's I think the big thing 
that I've noticed on most of the games I'm playing anyways. Yeah, I brought it up to some engineers there and they like the, the gut reaction was like, they're like, oh, you're asking for an echo chamber. It's like, no, that's like, that's not what I'm asking for. It's like, there's a, there's something like, but I could definitely, once I heard that, I'm like, I see that angle of it. It's like, so maybe like both systems need to coexist, but it's like, you know, you're not looking for an echo chamber. You're looking for like, I'm just looking for artificial intelligence to predict what I'll think of things and choose for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the, all I want. I want I robots, mean, overlords. I, I would really like it if all the companies that have like the, these artificial intelligence suggestion algorithms, Spotify, YouTube, heck even Steam, it'd be really nice to just opened up what your inputs were to that algorithm because sometimes I want to be like, look, let me pretend that for a day I'm really into fighting games and let me just tell you what fighting games I like. So you can tell me which fighting games I should buy. Okay, cool. I'm not really into fighting games. You'll never suggest me a fighting game, but I kind of want to dabble. I want to try them out. So let me get, share with you some new set of inputs and see what your outputs are. Oh, cool. Here's some fighting games for me to try. Great. Thank you. Okay. I want to try JRPGs now. I'm not yep. really into JRPGs, but here's the ones I do like. Here's a new set of inputs. Please give me some outputs. Like, you can't do that with Spotify. I can't be like, you know, I want to get back into jazz, but like, here's the jazz I like. Yep. I, they don't give you any of those parameters. And yeah, you type jazz, and then instead you just get like thousands of just random user playlists. And it's like, how am I? It's like this is useless. Or it's like I want to be I want to be Chris Pratt today. Just give me Chris Pratt's YouTube suggestions. Like, what is <laughs> yeah, what yeah, he get? Yeah, what's he watching? That's funny, actually. That's like really a funny. Community curator, like okay. today, like you want to be you want to be so and so. Not even algorithm will think you're. It's him. not even curated, dude. It's just like straight up going into their brain, dude. It's like, <laughs> oh man, yeah. Or it's like, yeah. yeah. It's like I think everybody went through. They all watched a uh, what's that? What's that prehistoric uh, technology YouTube primitive channel? Technology. Primitive, primitive, yeah. I think everybody's like gone on that binge of primitive technology, and then for like the next month, YouTube's <laughs> like, you want to watch a pottery video? It's like, no. I it's like hey, these technology. Hey, these uh, guys in Vietnam copied primitive technology. Maybe like that. Yeah. It's like no, I just want like one little bar of him. If you put a new video out, and then like nothing else. Like just like, strike that from the record. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. Man. All right. Cool. Well, to to wrap things up, I want to talk about one last thing. One yeah. last thing. You want Let's to do it. About. So at the very beginning here, when we're standing in the studio, and Brandon's like, "Guys, I have some ideas to talk about." There's one that we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, really? Yeah. So let's say you're making a Fast and the Furious movie uh-huh. and your lead actor dies in a fiery car accident. Yeah. What do you do? Well. Well, let's say you want to protect against that. What do you do now? Well, what emerged uh, a few years back, like a decade ago now, is uh, is this, I think it was pretty much like the Matrix sequels where probably when it really got thrust onto the public stage, right, was uh, digital doubles, right, mm-hmm. making digital humans. And the idea of being able to scan, model, and clone and start to render, it was like as soon as we turned over to have like nice skin shaders and stuff, we started thinking about like we could make some really good CG doubles and they could do stunts. And then from from the Matrix, we got like Pirates of the Caribbean 2 where suddenly you had Jack Sparrows bouncing off of like, you know, <laughs> falling down like a Looney Tunes character yeah. and stuff like that. And we, we've gone through the throes of it and then we entered into the phase of, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, 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 social Network. Uh, oh. Yeah, the Winklevoss twins or whatever. Yeah, Winklevoss twins. So you got to social network phase where suddenly you're doing, oh, there's only one of these actors. There's no twins at all, but we're just doubling their face and you never knew. Or Benjamin Button, you know, you start mm-hmm. having these things where like we're passing it off as real. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the the final phase of it where every single movie that costs over $100 million in existence is scanning, mandatorily scanning every single actor that's inside of them. And then they can use those actors for in the event of like, look at the Star Wars movies, you know, like we can, we can bring young Carrie Fisher back. We can bring old Carrie Fisher back, which is what's going to happen in 
uh, episode nine, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's going to be in there and she's going to be CG Ooh. and her family's going to get paid. Um, and uh, they and they they signed on that one. Like, let's do this, you mm-hmm. know? Because why not just why not just milk that cow one more time? Well, right? I feel like they signed it, and now, but they no one's yet seen the true repercussions of it. Yeah. So you have uh, so pretty much we have a database, and you're starting to see it come to a head. I think uh, Entertainment Weekly they they just in the last like week there was a bunch of news stories that came out where uh, Digital Domain wanted to publicize their department, and you're starting to see both sides where there's like there's there's the Hey, look at this cool technological angle thing we're doing now. And then there's also the foreboding, like, ooh, is this bad? And then you have the actors union being like, we'd like to get rid of this. And, you know, stuff like that. Obviously, you can't get rid of it once the cat's out of the bag, you know, like, and (laughs) people are going to keep signing. And you can just put that log line on the contract and it's like, sign it or don't sign it. You're going to be scanned. But with this comes all these stories of actors where, like, I don't want to do all the facial expressions. I don't know how you're going to use them. You might make, you might make a, a sex tape of me or something you could you know or like, mm-hmm. like and then it goes on and on and they realize that there's nothing that's going to stop the technology from photo real humans and the recreation of those um so i was reading about this and i took i kind of i i i've gone um, back and forth on it left and right and it's interesting because it's something that we do too because we're making we're making games now so the workflow that we have right now for our game characters is we cast somebody uh before we make the model of the character Mm-hmm. And we cast them so that we can scan them. So we have, because I've, I've been playing, we haven't executed on it yet, but I want to have the ability to do uh, live action sequences with the uh, the actors potentially. And so rather than trying to cast a lookalike and do a cosplay thing, I'm like, let's just, let's just do it the film way of let's get somebody, let's do wardrobe, let's get the costume ready, and then let's scan them, model it, and have that all ready, and we'll have both. And then the technology also emerged in the real-time environment to use... Uh, uh, Apple's uh, their uh, their face uh, FaceTime uh, capture yeah, the Animoji system. the Animoji system yeah and you can actually pipe that to characters in Unity now and so we can use that for the facial capture so we now have both workflows where it's like we can do uh, we can take a, a as realistic of a character as we want as we can make and put them in there and have them talking in game or we could do a live action equivalent of them and film a live mm. action sequence etc and theoretically these technologies merge to being interchangeable and then it comes down to the wonderful state of what's the best tool for the job it's like do we want to do a you know we want to film you right now do we want to scan you right now do we want to bring you back in for this do we want to do a digital pickup and these options are very liberating as a creator Mm -hmm. but the exception is that uh actors take exception to it because i think the way they're trying to phrase it is like is i think it's the wrong angle right now but it's 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 kind of the obvious angle is oh you can imagine like they're gonna bring me back when i'm dead against my will you know, I'm not going to like, they can just keep making movies with me and I won't be need my consent. And that's, and that's terrible. Isn't that spooky? And it's like, if your only value is your facial structure, then maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I kind of call bullshit on that because yeah. I don't think you're worried about when you're dead. I think your agent's telling you this cuts into your value because mm-hmm. who gets paid the most on a movie, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 talent, the actor, right? The yeah. actor, especially if you know, an A-list actor gets paid way more than the guy shining the light at the actor or the person pointing the camera. And why is that? It's, it's, it's scarcity, right? There's only one of them. And inherently with the filmmaking process, you've sold the audience on their face, the value they bring people into the theater now. Um, they've been built up. And so that's, that's where the value is. So they demand really high rates. Mm-hmm. And they all have writers where it's like, hey, if you need to do pickups of me, that's going to be an extra, like, say, Robert Downey Jr. or something. It's like, that's another $500,000 for, like, two days of a day or something like that. Like, ridiculous rates, right, to come mm-hmm. in. And suddenly the studio goes, 
we just need like a, a couple rye smiles out of Robert Downey Jr. It's like <laughs> it costs five hundred grand, and we'll we'll agree to give him five hundred grand. But what it turns out is we're just going to tell him, hey, we got everything we needed, no reshoots needed. But what they're going in and doing is they're getting mm. all the pickup shots they need of him and not paying him. And that's really the problem. Uh, and, and that's that's the problem in the agent's mind and the actor's. That's it's a all good money. Thing. That's well, a good thing. I'm going to be honest. That's a great thing. Well, it's, it's a <laughs> screw getting paid $500,000 for two days of work. That's a total like mess up of like the economic structure of a movie if that's where your values are going. Yeah. That's, if the animator finds it morally reprehensible, you know what? They're going to find another another animator. If yeah. the actor finds it, they're the only one that has like some weight to throw around because that's that's their leverage. And so they're me, seeing that's, that's their fixing, leverage getting chiseled away. That's fixing an economic pinch bottleneck in films that should be fixed. Yeah. You know? And now I'm, I'm like bunkering down and getting ready for the battle because I'm like the actors, before you know it, they're going to have the actors union like picketing out in front of the studios like, no digital humans. And it's going to be all these people that haven't had a chance to act yet that could be hired to be Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> that aren't going to get that job. And they're having them go out there and picket so they can like try to win favor with the actors union. Well, and I, they're going to manipulate them. I think it's because you got you to, I think, get down on a deeper level with this though because... I, I I I understand your point, Nico, about I guess the inflation of like the economics of entertainment. You know, through through this, um, you have a celebrity, millions and millions of dollars, kind of sets a standard in a way, and then it all trickles down from there. It's basically a monopoly on a small scale. It it is, but like let's work on. Like, I think it's about we need to get to why you think that because I think along the way, I mean, I think there's some things we're not considering here. Um, so like, what is the value of a celebrity? You know, what ultimately is it? Is it their face? You know, it's not just, it should face. be the performance. Well, it's, 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 it's unfortunately not just the performance. It, it's a combination. I would say of, you know, three things you have their face <laughs> yep. slash their physical form. Um, you have uh, the second of which, which is their, I guess performance slash their decision making process because that is generally unique to a performer. Mm-hmm. You know how how creative are you? How how can you how can you work emotions and you know manipulate an audience, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So there's the actual craft of the profession, and then I would argue there's probably the last thing, which is the way they are able to control their public appearance, like outside of um, a performance. You know, you look at. Chris Evans going to a hospital or like how these charity things or like, oh, they're cool or they're featured here or there. And so, so it's this concept of they are also actually a really cool human being. You know, they're a nice person, which then makes it so when you see them in a movie, you're like, that guy so cool. Also, he's really good at what he does. You know, so, he's basically Captain America in real life. Yeah. So he is Captain America. So you have to like consider that, let's say an actor is doing all of these things as hard as best as they can. They're maintaining their physical form. They're honing in on their craft and they are trying to be a really great person in real life, you know? And so that's how they create their value is by just doing all of this. And now you physically scan them you put them on a like a you know you make a stamp out of them to put them wherever you want, um, you know you, you kind of I guess it does it does go against like the value that that actor did create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what I see is, you know, filmmaking is an artistic process too. At the end of the day, and everybody should bring value to the thing that they are truly valuable in. An actor is valuable for their performance first and foremost. Yes, there's that public persona. 
But to me, that's really not entirely relevant to what their job is. Just like Roger Deakins, like he's a great cinematographer and his movies look beautiful. Yeah. That's what matters. You know, it doesn't matter that he's got a good public facing brand, you know, so and so much. I mean, ideally they're not like an asshole, (laughs) you know, that matters. I have a hard time, you know, consuming art from assholes, but, um, you know, for an actor to me, what's most important is their performance. And when, like you were mentioning, Brandon, like when pickups cost a half million dollars a day or, you know, in Bruce Willis's case, probably a million dollars a day. Cause I know Bruce Willis is just straight up a million dollars a day. Yeah. That's not, there's no performance in like, Oh, I need a shot of you like turning to the right because we filmed it on the wrong side when we, on the day or like, you yeah. know, cloud was over the sun or something like that. That's just like, completely artificial inflation of the budget so you can milk another half a million dollars out of the studio. Uh, and that's when you get really weird economics in film. And that's when you get barriers to, of entry to all the other filmmakers trying to get into it. So to me, something like this is opening up that creative pathway and letting the filmmakers make a better movie, which at the end of the day is better for the people consuming the movie. Yeah. And the actor is still getting paid, but they're getting paid for what their actual value is, which is the craft of acting. Yeah. Also, there's an opportunity cost, right? It's like you can only make so many movies a year because you only have so much time. But suddenly if it's like, wow, we only need you like real you for two months and then digital you for the rest, then suddenly there's more things to be done. So there's there's less scarcity of that resource. Like mm-hmm. maybe like you, you commented, you met the you met the rock and you commented like, how does he do so many things a day? What if it comes out that half the time it's just digital rock? <laughs> you know, he's a like, twin well, brother, probably. Yeah. Right? Like, well, what that's I mean, a dirty def- secret that he's hiding. Like, he's got. He's like, I've been like half the shots you see of me are CG. That's why like, his head is shaved, and that's why. See, he's he's already it's easier made to his render. Body. Yeah, <laughs> render. He's always greased up and shined up, right? Like that dude is CG almost all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. And the other, here's, here's yeah, I, mean, I can. I have to preface this with saying like I've nothing. There's a there's probably just a few bad actors that are that that are uh, that are spoiling it for the bunch, and most of them are probably very pure and true. Yeah, but the insurance policy is often because there's a high rate of of like overdose and drug abuse mm-hmm. and getting out of shape that happens right after films. It's like a spike. Like there's a, there's a high like if you looked if you looked at the data analysis of all actors for the last fifty years, post big movie like that's when they go to rehab, right? And it's mm-hmm. like why is that? Is it they like to say, is, is it the stresses of the job? Is it, oh, it's like, it's like this, this role was so emotionally taxing. I don't think so. I think you just cashed a big check. <laughs> you have a huge block of free time and you're just going hard partying yeah. for a mm-hmm. few months. And then they end up OD'd. And now it's like, now we can't even get you for the reshoots and you're mm-hmm. out of shape. Like, uh, like Ben Affleck uh, after, after uh, uh, Superman or no, Batman, uh, the Batman vs. Superman movie, mm-hmm. they ended up doing CG him for reshoots because he got so like bloated and out of shape. He didn't, he didn't maintain his physique, you know, after, yeah. why would he, right? And it's like, and maybe there was a little bit, like he didn't want to make that movie. He just wanted the check, right? He's like, I'm just going to power through this garbage movie so that I can get this check. And what did he do afterwards? He partied. He hit it hard. <laughs> and so they didn't use him for reshoots. They CG'd him because mm-hmm. he was done. So it's like insurance policy pays off. It's like, you got what you wanted. A lot of zeros in the bank account. That's awful. Also, also want. he wanted to direct the next one. And he wanted to direct the next <laughs> one, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing against it. I think it's super value, valuable, and I think everyone should, should do it. But I think it's the question of like, it's, it's trying to do, do, do that as like, it, it completely in lieu of, of something that you should be probably roping the actor into. But at this point, the thing is, any time you're doing that for a movie, your budget's so high that half of it. Half of the movie's in animation at that point, and 
having real actors is kind of irrelevant anyways at that point. Yeah, like it almost it does CG almost blends better with the CG backgrounds. Yeah, it's not you don't want someone on a damn thing. green screen. Look, yeah, you're already, like a, you're already a puppet it. anyways, might as well just put a couple more strings on that face of yours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sympathize Dance. with the actor side of you too. I, I yeah. come off very one sided because I'm kind of like anticipating like a frustrating like uh like uh campaign leveraged by the actors unions to try to like get public opinion behind them because the you know, actors are influencers so yeah. they'll try to be like no we can't do this like, oh i know I, honestly it's a bunch of just grumpy people and agents probably because it is it is the additional money from reshoots but ultimately like you you the the, the thing the way you stomp on that is just to say all right in this scene we want you to fly you know it's like can you do that it's like we need to scan you, man. <laughs> yeah, and there's like, also some fear too. It's like if you feel like you're like I am probably getting paid a little disproportionately for what I'm contributing to this project, I'm I'm gonna be defensive of that position, right? Like if you really yeah. feel like you're worth every penny you're making, you're not gonna worry about like you're just best tool for the job. Like let's make some let's make yeah. some art here. Let's yeah. make something cool. I think ultimately right? that's the mindset that it's you know that, that people have to remind themselves of yeah, because like, that's that's really what you're doing. Yeah, like I'd hope that I. I think it's a, it's a more comfortable position. Like you're going to sleep better at night if you're never trying to get paid more than you're worth, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're just trying to like like I just want to work hard. I want to use my talents and and hard work and energy to to get paid what I'm what I'm worth. Then it's like that's that's a position that you can like hang your hat on. Like you'll you'll always have a a, a place in this world if you can bring real you always value have to worth. the table. Yeah, if you're, if you're right? yeah, I mean, and then and that's how the industry actually really works at its core. It's people who are easy to work with. And who enjoy being paid fairly and et cetera, et cetera. It's like those are the relationships that last. I think that goes for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's about being honest and having respect for colleagues and having respect for the work that you're doing. Yeah. And so yeah. hopefully the system already filters out like the truly bad eggs. Like if someone's a real pain to work with and you hear some of these stories sometimes, it's like if they're if it's really that bad, their career is probably going to dwindle and go away. So it's like this. it's probably being embellished a bit if they tend to like stick around for 20 year long careers. It's like. Someone must like them, right? Like, they yeah. must be. The only other challenge I really see is that, like, the one thing that the digital scanning does is it does, when I mentioned the puppet thing earlier, I, I say that because any, like, big movie, like a Star Wars film, I mean, really any Disney movie at this point, a Marvel film, a Star Wars film, whatever, like, they are, you are basically a puppet. Like, mm-hmm. they are literally saying, the camera's going to make this move over this amount of time. There's your one mark, there's your other mark. You need to say these lines at this cadence while walking at this speed. And at this point, you will smile and look over there. Yep. You do not make any decisions. They've all been made for you. Yeah. Well, they've been made by the, pre- <laughs> the decisions are made by the previous artists who uh, like, read the script and then uh, made an animation of the whole movie before you even got to set. Yeah. It's like Terminator, right? It's like, I want you to come in and say, I'll be back right here. Just like you did in the first one. It's like, not just like it, like exactly like it. And so much so that like, we're not even going to have you do it. We got it. You know, like, you're going to make yeah. every twitch that you made. You know, the one thing we're leaving out of this entire conversation is voice. Voice is actually such an important part of performance that you can't quite replicate as easily as everything else. Not yet. Very Not close. Yet. Yeah, do you think? We're on the edge. Maybe it's just we haven't put as much energy towards synthesizing voices. I feel like audio is always like kind of neglected compared to visual, right? We put emphasis there. Yeah. But it seems like if we put the same energy towards audio that we did towards video, audio would be leagues beyond where. Yeah. You know, like if, if humans just appreciated what our ears did rather than appreciating what our eyes did more. Audio is like audio is, I think, on a fundamental level easier to 
manipulate and create than light is. yeah i don't know and or, compared to like video right now like when you look at like an uncompressed 16-bit audio channel versus a 4k dnx hr video file like <laughs> you're literally using like like a thousandth of the data in your audio stream and so basically that means you can apply a thousand times more processing power to manipulating audio you know so i'm just yeah you're right you're totally right but i've, I've, I've heard some stuff and they're close. They're very close. Super close. But it's still a little robotic and janky, but yeah. really close. I mean, that's to me, I think that's the one thing that people really underestimate when it comes to performances. I think you can you can kind of get by looking any way you look as long as you look a little unique in Hollywood. I really yeah. don't think looks are as big of a deal as people make them out to be. Like, yeah, you're not going to be the dashing, handsome lead, but you can fulfill almost any other role as long as you can kind of play into your archetype, you know? Yeah. Um, but to me, like, obviously, performance is key. But, like, I think what makes a performance more almost than anything else is your voice. Yeah. And I think that goes to show, like, when you have something like the Lego movie and they cast all these, like, like Chris Pratt. You think Chris Pratt would Chris Pratt. You think Chris Pratt would only be cast if you could see him. But he's a good voice actor. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these actors that you think are only popular because they look good. No, it's because they're actually, they have really good voice acting. Because a lot of emotion and inflection comes through in the vocal decisions you make when you're performing. So, yeah, watch out when they start you're doing uh, audio scans. Like, all right, make all the, the phonemes or whatever they are. Yeah. Uh, e, I, o, e. uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> when it's, when mandatory vocal scanning is where people are really going to throw a fit. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I was talking about earlier. It's, it is those decisions. And so it's like when you come to that point where you're recreating people, you know, it's, it's not so much about the fact that it's uh, um, uh, you, you, you get less money. But it's the fact that I am then taking your image and I'm putting it on a screen and I'm saying, that's Nico. And you're like, no, that that what that's not I didn't do that. Like, that doesn't represent me. Yeah. And I think it's I, I think that's I think the true fundamental is an actor's issue. duty not to just portray another character completely and wholly and eliminate themselves from the process. Well, mm. then I, forget. <laughs> they should, I, I don't I don't quite get it. My point being, isn't it important to that when Keanu Reeves is playing Neo, that it is Neo and not Keanu Reeves? Well, who's going to play Neo then? <laughs> Some of the cynic in me just says, like, you cast, like, the A-lister in your in your animated movie just so when it comes time for PR that on Jimmy Kimmel you can be like, we got Chris Pratt here. And they, oh, they, that's he comes also and talks a reason, and they yes. trailer for the animated movie. It's like, I don't know. Like, are they the best? Are they the best voice actor? They're, they're good, you know, not bad. They get the job done, but objectively the best? Probably not, you know? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think we're going to have to end on that note, actually. The I day's can... starting at early day. <laughs> it's yeah, no it's longer an early day. It's, 1130. A, it's a normal day now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the rooster right. is crowing. Well. <laughs> <laughs> or cacawing. Yeah, well, it's a... Cockadoodle doing. Cockadoodle. What does a rooster do? Cockadoodle do. Cockadoodle do. Is that the technical term for the sound? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, I heard. It. I can always come back whenever you guys want. Sam just said going. that with as much confidence as he could to make it seem true. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This yeah. Is thanks a lot for of fun. joining us on the podcast, Brandon. That was a good conversation. Absolutely. Is there anything you want the listeners to check out that you're working on? Uh, there will be soon. I think. Uh, I mean, we've been getting. I've been uncharacteristically quiet for the last like six months about what we're doing. And a lot of that is just because we've been so heads down working on it. Like I assure you guys that we've been, we've been plugging away every day. Nico and Sam have seen it, like just pulling our hair out, trying to get all everything together. And we got, we probably to a fault. We haven't shown anything we're doing. 
Um, but the plan is definitely to open up a lot more and uh, and uh, start showing what we're what we're doing. Um, what we're working on, we'll be releasing in 2019. Uh, Boneworks will be coming out in 2019, um, and we'll have a, we'll get a, we'll get the Steam we'll get the Steam page up soon and start talking about it, start showing things, and start being open. Because uh, yeah, a fundamental core of like what we did with the Freddy W channel was to talk more behind the scenes and show what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we intend to do this with this progress process too, to a fault. Like we want to, uh, I've never gotten burned by it yet where it's like, oh, I wish I didn't tell people how to do that because now everyone's doing it better than me. You know, <laughs> they, they took our idea and they ran with it. Now they're ahead of us. It's like, if you're scared of that, then it's like, you got no, you got no business trying to do something new. Like just <laughs> share it and work on the next thing. Right. Can you share with us who your speaking of digital actors, can you share with us who your digital actors are for Boneworks? For Boneworks, the lead is going to be Brett. <laughs> Brett yeah. the wow. son Brett the son yeah <sighs> we're like we got up and he's we're like we we fell in love with the idea of a of a southern uh, of having of having that accent but not having him be like we're not, he's not dumb which is <laughs> great I'm like I'm like if I ever have a southern accent in, a, in, a, in anything it's like it's never going to be an unintelligent character because that's mm-hmm. just that's just not fun right so <laughs> Brett is Brett is an intelligent character hmm. with full southern accent and uh and yeah, there'll be there'll be multiple Bretts in the uh, game. Oh, really? Say that. Yeah. Wow. He is, he is in some ways both the the enemy and the the main character. So wow, it'll be some Brett on Brett. That's action. mysterious. Is Boneworks just a game about like doing bone surgery? Uh, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll see. We'll show right. real soon. Is All it right. a skeleton themed game? All right, Nick. Nick, Nick. <laughs> That's not a real question. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, they're keeping it. It's a skeleton theme game. Dang it. Oh, oh yeah. sweet. <laughs> I love right. skeletons. Well, I can always come back. If there's if the comments are flooded with questions, I know they wanted to hear about Freddy W stuff. We touched on that a little bit. We Touch can always get more bit. into it later. We'll like, get more into it I later. Come back, whatever. It's all good. Sign the wall again right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. all right, Brandon. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Corridor cast. It was great having Brandon Lodge on. And if you enjoyed that podcast, don't forget to subscribe wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And if you want to do a little bit more, if you're feeling really, really into it today, head on over to CorridorDigital.store and get yourself some merchandise. We got merchandise all over the place. And honestly, I think that's the best way to support this podcast. It is free and always will be. So snag a cool T-shirt for yourself and... Represent. Peace.